If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Rafilion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Invisible Heat. I am Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt. Invisible Heat is a weekly true crime podcast in which Asad and I attempt to uncover the ugly truths behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. Yeah, and as some of our very dedicated listeners may know, Sadia and I launched Invisible Hate at the beginning of this year. And since then, we've covered cases from all across the country. Some of those cases are older from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, and they're pretty much closed, but others are pretty recent within the past few years. And a few of them are actually ongoing cases. So today, you know, this week after Thanksgiving, we thought we would update you for any case that you felt was unresolved when you first listened to it, or if you had a topic or question you wanted us to flesh out, but we didn't get a chance to, here's your opportunity to get a little bit more information and opinions from Sadia and me. Let's get started with our first updated case of the day, a kidnapping in Kansas City. Excelsior Springs police received a report last month of a woman who was going door to door screaming for help. Now, police did arrest. In October of 2022, a young African American woman known only as TJ escaped from a home near Kansas City, Missouri. A man named Timothy Haslett Jr. allegedly kidnapped her and kept her locked in his basement for a month. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah, when she finally escaped, she was hardly clothed, extremely thin, and crying out for help. Her kidnapper was later charged with kidnapping and rape in the first degree. It's also speculated that this case was a race-related hate crime. Haslett is a white man, 
and there's been evidence of racist posts on his social media. But so far, in his numerous hearings, he's pled not guilty. Since we first released that episode, Hazlitt still hasn't officially been sentenced, nor have we received any further information about TJ, his anonymous victim. But here's the thing. There have been some pretty disturbing developments in the case. And that's concerning a possible witness to the case that was later found dead in June of this year. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so this is extremely tragic. Yeah. In January of 2023, around the same time we originally released the episode, police released a name, a photo, and the address of quote-unquote possible witness to the Haslett case. I said, what the fuck were police thinking by releasing all the information and putting somebody in danger? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I wish that we knew how police officers and investigators thought. But yeah, this sounds really sad, especially with what we know uh, ended up happening. Right. Now, the witness's name was Janie Crossdale, a 36-year-old African-American woman. But the police shared no further information in this bulletin. They were basically looking for her, but didn't say how she might be connected to the case. In the months to follow, sources would say that Janie was quote-unquote well-known on the street by law enforcement. Now, this well-known thing may mean a lot of things. She apparently struggled with mental illness and used drugs. And this may also imply prostitution or sex work of some kind. I'm assuming at a high level, it just means that yeah, they were familiar with her in some way, shape or form because she had a lot of interactions with them for a variety of reasons. Absolutely. That was one of the main questions in Timothy Haslett's case, whether or not his victim, TJ, was a sex worker, right? Mm, yep. Now, we want to reiterate that it does not change the brutal nature of her assault. What Haslett did was wrong either way. But here's sources seem to suggest that maybe Janie and TJ could have known each other. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's what makes Janie an important part of this case. Maybe that's why the police were looking for her. Now, law enforcement couldn't locate Janie. However, by January, she was already missing. In their article, the Kansas City Star notes that they spoke to Janie's family who said no one had seen her in over a year and a half. Mm. This raises a lot of red flags, I said, right? Yeah, no doubt. Now, when the police started looking for her, though, no one had filed a police report either. Mm. And I said, as I was reading this, I kept thinking. What would stop her family from looking for her or notifying the police? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's probably a lot of reasons why that could be. Maybe, you know, she had a history of disappearing and coming back and, and maybe, you know, there was no need for the family in their opinion to, to notify the police. Maybe they just weren't close. Maybe there was some sort of break between her and her family. But yeah, it's obviously sad. Additionally, I said, people did try telling the police that black women are going missing, but the police honestly didn't listen. Also, oh, remember, I remember that. Yes. Right? Remember yeah. these women might be 
sex workers or low income and that's why police weren't probably paying attention right uh, you're yeah it's, I'm, it's all coming back to me now right yeah that was a big thing is that yeah totally and there's more controversy here as well many people did not like that police decided to release Crosstail's face, name and address to the public, which honestly makes a lot of sense to me. Numerous voices in the black community worried that this would endanger the witness. One woman even stated something like, and I quote, I am scared for her, the way they are putting her out there, unquote. You know what? That is why things like witness protection exist. So, like, why couldn't they put her in witness protection? Well, help me understand. So, it seems like they put her image and face out there in order to find her, right? And then, is that the reason why they did that? And Possibly, yes. Yeah, I think they're right. There probably could have been other ways to go about it, uh, as opposed to doing what they did. I, I wish that we knew a little bit more about why they decided to go down that route. You know, perhaps it was because they felt like there was a huge threat to the community, and so they wanted to mitigate that as soon as possible. But yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You're right. And some people also disagreed and they say it isn't unusual to notify the public of a witness, although I haven't heard of any such incidents, so I couldn't really tell if that is common or not. Tragically, five months after the police released her information, Janie was found dead. Yeah, so sad. On June 24th, two kayakers along the Missouri River found her body in a blue barrel. Oh, wow. At first, police had trouble identifying her, her body had already decayed significantly. According to the Kansas City Star, it took about a month to realize she was Janie Crossdale, their possible witness. So, Sally, this is just really shocking to me. I think in my head as you were reading this, my assumption was that she had died by suicide or an overdose or you know something like that. This obviously points to some sort of murder, right? If she was found in a blue mm. barrel, someone exactly. must have put her there. This is definitely taking a turn, uh, in my opinion. Um, maybe I wasn't listening hard enough. But sadly, what does this mean for the Haslett case? So Asit, as you may have guessed, Haslett is a suspect for two reasons. One, the court has since determined that Janie was at Haslett's house at some point. We don't know oh, when. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. There is surveillance footage showing Janie at his home. Willingly, Haslett's prosecutor and defender both believe she was meeting him for consensual sex. Hmm. Okay. No sources say when exactly was she at his home, but this must have been before TJ escaped because Haslett was arrested soon after that, right? Yeah. And he's been behind bars since October but I'm not sure law enforcement has told anyone when Janie died. So there is some confusion around this. Right. So she was found in June, right? Right. He has been behind bars since October. So, yeah. So the question is, when did she die? When was she murdered? When was she put in this blue barrel? And, and who murdered her? And who murdered her? Yeah, for sure. So in January, her family said they hadn't heard from her in over a year and a half. Hmm. But I said, that doesn't mean she'd been dead for that long, right? Right, for sure. And to be honest, I don't know how long decomposition takes, but a year and a half seems too long. Yeah, I would have no clue about that either. I, I, 
I wouldn't even know how to guess. Right. Now, the second reason Haslet is a suspect is the circumstances surrounding her death. When police searched Haslet's home months ago, they found a set of blue barrels. Oh, that's obviously incriminating. Right. So apparently these barrels are similar to the one Janie Crossdale was found in. Oh, yeah. Okay. So now, yeah, obviously we're putting two and two together here. But since Crossdale, there haven't been further updates on the situation. Police are still reaching out to people in the hopes that something new will surface. But for now, we are left with a lot of unanswered questions. So that's where we are with that case. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, clearly it seems like he's done this multiple times to multiple people. And I wonder if there's going to be more victims that show up, which, you know, maybe that's the reason why the police put out this kind of APB, you know, so quickly with Janie's information because they were worried about, you know, her safety. So. Yeah, if anybody has any other details about this case, please let us know. Obviously, this is really heartbreaking that another body was found and potentially there could be more victims. Salia, let's take a quick break. Um, When we come back, we will update you with another one of our stories that we've covered over the past year. Hello and welcome back to Invisible Hate. The next episode we have updates for was entitled A Family Killed in a Truck Attack. You'll remember in 2021, a young white man named Nathaniel Veltman murdered four members of a Pakistani family in Canada. He drove his pickup truck into the Afzal family while they were taking a walk after dinner. Canadian police are weighing terrorism charges against a 20-year-old man over what they say was a premeditated attack in the city of London, Ontario. Four members of the same Muslim family were hit by a car. And Many sources believe Veltman's actions were motivated by white nationalism. When we first aired the episode, Veltman had yet to go to court, but the date was set for September, which means we can now share that trial with all of you. And would you believe it, Veltman testified on his own behalf and pleaded not guilty, even though he confessed on the day of the crime two years ago. Remember, we covered that. Oh, so he flipped. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which probably, you know, I I think in these cases, it makes sense for people to plead not guilty because there's no real benefit to, to pleading guilty, you know, coming out of the gate. But anyway, initially, after hitting the Afzals with his truck, he told police he was looking to kill Muslims. He was wearing body armor and a helmet like he was in the military. So where does this not guilty plea come from? In court, Veltman said he made up the story he originally told police. And so his new story is that he suffers from, you guessed it, mental illness, Sadia's favorite um, defense strategy. Yeah. Veltman says he grew up in a strict Christian family that caused an unhappy childhood. And then somehow his emotional instability led to his obsession with the far right side of the Internet, chock full of anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant content. The defense further claims that Veltman was coming down from a magic mushroom high. You know, a forensic psychiatrist defending Veltman testified that his poor mental health plus the shrooms caused his actions. I'm not surprised, as this is like their typical line of defense. Yeah, they got it. You know, I think this is what the defense has to do, right? I mean, this time they just added shrooms to the mix. But otherwise, yeah, that's that is new. That is new. For sure. The defense even wants to lessen his charge to manslaughter instead of murder and terrorism. 
murder charges would mean life imprisonment, but manslaughter charges are a maximum of seven years. Prosecutors, Sadio, on the other hand, deny his mental illness diagnoses, which include autism, OCD, and complex trauma. They also question the withdrawal effects of magic mushrooms, and they are standing by the belief that Veltman's behavior was premeditated and motivated by white nationalism, but the trials are still ongoing and hopefully will get answers by the end of the year. You know, Sadi, I think for me on this case, like the end result is still the same. The family is dead. They were targeted, whether or not he was high on mushrooms or because of his poor mental health, like the end result is like this family is devastated. Four members of them are killed. And regardless of whether he was high or had some sort of poor mental health, like I think he just deserves to be in jail for a while. Absolutely, Asit. Now we have two more cases that we want to briefly discuss again. While there are no updates on these cases, as both are pretty much closed, both have been made into documentaries. So our first episode of Invisible Hate was called The Chapel Hill Murders, which, if listeners remember, in 2015, Craig Stephen Hicks shot and killed three Muslim college students in their apartment in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yeah. Dental student Daya Barakat, his wife Yusor, and her sister Razan were found shot dead at their home in Chapel Hill in North Carolina yesterday afternoon. The suspect Craig Hicks was arrested after handing himself in to police overnight. Police have not said what they believe the motive may have been. Hicks pleaded guilty and received three life terms. He remains in prison today, but there is controversy over what actually motivated Hicks to attack these three young people. Now, officially, Coates and Hicks himself say a dispute over a parking space caused this attack, but many others believe he harbored hatred towards Muslims and his prejudice, whether subconscious or not, stirred him to violence. Now, the documentary, 36 Seconds, Portrait of a Hate Crime, explores the aftermath of this terrifying act of violence. He chose the gun because it had deadly aim. This was the most horrific thing that can happen to anyone. A shocking triple murder in the college town of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. A triple homicide is unheard of in our community. He executed them. He didn't just kill them. There is a big difference. They were so successful, so beautiful, so amazing. Everything was going their way. When you see young people die, there's so much more of their story that needs to be written. What happened at Chapel Hill will be with the Muslim community forever. You really have to ask, why? Why were they targeted? It was 36 seconds of hell. The world premiere was very recent on November 11th in Manhattan. But for those who missed the day, we leave the link to their website and you can see where you guys can find it and hopefully watch. I think this case continues to be relevant when discussing the violent discrimination against Muslim communities. Totally. It has scary similarities to the recent case of the 71-year-old landlord outside of Chicago who stabbed a six-year-old boy named Wade Al-Fayoum to death. In Chicago, a six-year-old boy was fatally stabbed while his mother was severely injured. Police say they were targeted because of their faith. 
The suspect, Joseph Juba, was the family's landlord. He has been charged with hate crimes. 26 wounds in total. That same landlord also stabbed the young boy's mother who survived. The family is Palestinian-American and the landlord was motivated by the recent events happening in Palestine and Israel. Mm. It just goes to show once again that Islamophobia comes in continuous waves in this country, unfortunately. So whether the college students in 2015 or Radeh and his mother in 2023, or as we are about to talk about Rice's case in 2001. Yeah, that's right, Sadia. The next update is inspired by that story of Rice Bouillon, which was one of the first episodes that we did on Invisible Hate. Mark Stroman was in a shooting rampage to kill as many Muslims as possible. As a retaliation of 9-11 terrorist attacks, he killed Wakar Hassan, a man from Pakistan. He shot and killed a man from India, Vasudev Patel. And on September 21st, 2001, he shot me in the face. You'll remember that 10 days after 9-11, Rice Buyan was at work at a convenience store outside of Dallas, Texas, when a man walked in and asked him, quote, where are you from? And then that man shot him in the face with a shotgun, even before Rice could answer. Luckily, Rice survived the attack, but is now blind in one eye. And this was a definite hate crime. The perpetrator was a self-proclaimed white supremacist named Mark Anthony Stroman, who actually shot and killed two other South Asian men over three weeks. About 10 years later, in 2011, Stroman was actually executed after he was found guilty of the murder. As for Rice, he has been developing a documentary over the past couple of years or so on the subject of hate crimes. The documentary is called Pain and Peace, and it delves into multiple different hate crime stories to examine why people commit such horrendous acts against others. Of course, this is inspired by his own experience with hate crimes. The documentary has not yet been released, but is in the final stages of production. Here is a snippet from it. Since I was gunned down, I've been searching for answers. Why people hate and hurt others. They were celebrating the fact that the rally was over. That's when he drove his car into the crowd. I just miss her. Following breaking news right now in Orange County, where Orlando police have confirmed there's been a shooting in downtown. It's just awful. I just cannot comprehend how this world meets so much hatred. And you can check out the complete trailer on worldwithouthate.org. World Without Hate being the name of Rice's nonprofit organization. We can't wait for that to come out. And also check out 36 Seconds if you can. And keep an eye out for Rice's documentary, Pain and Peace. I said, you know what? I am so proud of the work that we are doing, uncovering hate crimes, sharing them with people, creating awareness about the impact of these hate crimes, not just on individuals, but also on communities. And I'm so thankful and grateful for all people who come back to us every week, who listen, 
And if you really, really believe in the work we are doing, if it resonates with you, please do share it with friends and family. Yeah, I think that's really well said. You know, Sadia, we only ever really cover a small portion of the hate crimes that happen across the states. You know, we've talked about this. There are thousands and thousands that happen every year. And, you know, I think that it's really important for us to not only shed light on what's happening, but also give people updates on the stories that you know, are affecting our communities. And so definitely when there are things like documentaries about these subjects, we encourage people to watch them because obviously you can delve a lot deeper into them. And so definitely check out 36 Seconds if you can and keep an eye out for Rice's documentary, Pain and Peace. And we'll have links in the show notes and also we'll promote those um, as they come out into the world. And next week we'll be back with a new case you love to hate, as usual. As usual. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening to Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, check out the links in the show notes about all the cases that we've talked about this week, all the updates. And please email us your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Trefillion Media and Immigrantly. We would like to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Emmanuel Monahan, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until next time, I'm Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.